Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, these tight pants, they're just like a wetsuit, whatever you put them on in the water. Uh, hey, I'm Daniel Wagner, and uh, that's probably the strangest intro you'll hear this week. So thanks for being here this morning. Uh, this is going to be a great day. We've already seen baptism, had a great time in worship, and uh, I hope that we have uh, a good time together as we look at a passage of scripture that we're all pretty familiar with. As we've been walking through this series called Second Chances, uh, we've seen a lot of great second chance opportunities for people. So these are people who encounter Jesus, and Jesus gave them a second chance at not just life, but a life of meaning and purpose with him. So I'm excited about today. Uh, I have the privilege of sharing another story that I think we've all heard a lot, but I hope that we can look at it with fresh eyes today. Uh, Here's what I want you to do before we even get started. I'm going to make you uncomfortable right out of the gate. Uh, Here's what I want you to do. Think about the one thing or a couple of things that would really make your life. Like I'm talking like goals, dreams, the things you really, really want in life. And uh, take about 30 seconds and share them with a neighbor. So, yep, you have to talk to somebody. Sorry, that's not your personality. That is mine, and if you hate me forever, I can live with it. So share dreams, goals, take about 30 seconds, share with the people around you. Uh, If your dreams or goals are too sketchy for you to share out loud, make something up, and then share. Dreams, goals, dreams, goals, dreams, goals, 30 seconds. Okay, if you haven't let your friend share yet, your new friend, do that. If it's an old friend, you can continue to cut them off. It's your decision, how you run your friendships. Uh, Okay, everybody shared? Everybody feel good? Anyone still need to express their hopes, dreams, and goals? Uh, If you do, you can email me later. Here's what I need you to do. Uh, Now think about what it would take to make that happen. And share that with your friend. Same friend, so they have context. So what, is it, what does it take to make it happen? What would it take to make that happen? Whatever it is, whatever the thing is. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb. And is everybody, everybody there? Wow, you guys are really methodical. I hope those dreams come true. Kind of, depending on what they are. Not if they're sketchy. Uh, so here's what's up. Probably all of your dreams had to do with money in some way, right? So whether it's having more of something, having less of something, working, not working, being with family, not being with family, having a house, a car, whatever it is, whatever the dream is for you, there's a pretty good chance that it had to do with money. And, uh, that's just kind of how it works. Money really does make the world go round and it takes money to make money and all other sorts of phrases we have to talk about how money really is just something that we need in life. Jesus talked about money just about more than he talked about anything else. And uh, the church has a history of, of not talking about money or talking about money money in a, in a negative way. But I really want to uh, man, enter into a conversation together with you guys about money and uh, how Jesus encountered one man who had a lot of money and called him away from that to something else. Now, uh, Foner Church is a young church. Love being there. I'm a, I'm a young guy. There are some of you in the room who have shoes older than me. So uh, I'm just telling you, when you're up here on the stage and uh, you're sharing or you're preaching, anybody who shared the Bible knows this, like it, it's just as much about what's going on with you as it is about what's going on with people. So let me share with you out of some experience that I've had in my, my narrow life and uh, some things that I want 
really to get right down the course of my life, and I think a lot of you have that we're friends, uh, that I'm friends with in the room, and I know that you've lived a life that's for Jesus uh, in this regard. But for all of us, I think it's good to take a look at what we do with our money and how much we care about it. Uh, So this is a story of the rich young ruler that we see in Mark 10. We'll get there in a little bit. But, man, we know that everybody has to have money. We don't really love money just for the sake of money, right? Like, we like money because of what it does and what it gets us. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, you know, I don't have a lot of money. Maybe you're a college student, and then you're probably true. But everybody else, everybody else, like, they, you have money. Now, here's what I want to show you, a couple of numbers that would qualify that everyone in this room would probably be considered rich by the world's standards. So here they are. Here we go. To be among the wealthiest half of the world last year, so this is a new, this is a new number, 2017, an adult needed to own only $3,210 in net assets. Wealthiest half of the world, if you have more than $3,200, you're in the wealthiest half of the world. Most of you uh, probably drove here in something that's worth a couple of times that. Probably if you and the same people you shared your dreams with kind of all got together and looked at the value of your clothes, you, they would probably exceed $3,200. And then the next one, to be in the top 10%, a person needs to have $68,000 in wealth assets. So you're driving it, living it, whatever you got, wearing it, whatever. If you have that much money, you're in the top 10% of wealth in the world. Which you're seeing this and you're like, no, that can't be right. You know, it's probably not true. Is this really a, a fair global statistic? And I'll tell you that it is an incredibly fair global statistic. If you look at the way that a lot of the world still operates and a lot of the way that people still live, a lot of conditions that people are in, uh, we really are here in America and here in Metro Jackson, Mississippi. We're typically pretty wealthy people. Which leads us all to this desire that we have that I think is fair for all of us, fair for me, true for everyone we know, that deep down we all have this desire to be rich and influential. We all want to be rich. We all want to be influential. Now, maybe you're uncomfortable with that. Maybe you feel like I'm accusing you of of wanting to be rich. And I don't know, you know, everybody in the room, but I would say that you probably have what I have and what most of us have, which is a desire to accumulate more money for the purpose of being able to take care of things, right? Money is a good thing. Like, you need money. You go to work because you have to pay bills and you have to take care of people and you have things that you have to do. So don't hear me say money is bad because I don't think money itself is bad. We'll get there later. But we love money because of what it gives us. Like, no one works really, really hard just so that they have more zeros added to the end of their bank account. Like, even if you do get a little dopamine tick whenever you see that you make more money, which is proven psychologically, we really love what that associates with. Like, we love what money gets us. Because money gets us good things, right? It gets us experiences, things that are fun. It gets us new stuff to enjoy. And, and it takes care of us when we're sick. Like, money does some really great things. But all you know, I mean, everyone in here has been affected in some way by the dangerous thing that happens whenever we set money as first in our heart. And we decide that our chief priority is pursuing money, pursuing wealth, and what those things get us. We all want to be rich, and we all want to be influential. Let's check out this passage. 
Uh, here we go. It's in Mark 10, and uh, you can turn there with us, or it'll be up on the screen. This is Jesus having an encounter with the man we know as the rich young ruler. Here we go. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him, and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, and honor your father and mother. Then the man said, Teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, One thing you lack. Then he said, Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. Some translations say he was filled with sorrow. His face fell. There was a physical expression of something hitting him hard. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Then Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and this gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with many persecutions and in the last age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So what we get is this guy who by all modern standards would be considered a pretty together dude. I mean, this is the kind of guy who when he walks in the room, everybody would be impressed. They'd be like, dang, this guy's got it going on. Not just great monetary wealth, but great moral wealth, right? So this is a guy who is acknowledged as rich and as a ruler. So Everyone in society would kind of know when this guy rolls up, just kind of what he, what he wears and how he carries himself and some minor cues like that, that he's got some authority. And uh, he's got it going on in that kind of category, but the other category as well, right? He has high moral wealth. Like this is a guy who seems to be pretty moral. He wouldn't probably have been able to have his position if he'd not been morally upright as most positions of authority in that time went, they were pretty linked to how uh, you know, morally upright people were and keeping the law and keeping the commandments. So this guy, both morally upright and has a lot of money. So he comes up to Jesus because he's looking for something else, right? This is a guy that people would say, man, this guy's got, a, got it going on. He's good. He's probably got a good idea of what his life looks like after he dies. He's got all his needs taken care of. He probably doesn't need anything, you know? So this is a good dude. But he comes up in humility and encounters Jesus and says, there's just one thing. There's one more thing I need. This is a guy who probably would not have gone out of his way to seek help or to seek the answer to something, right? He had influence and authority. 
So he could have figured out answers on his own if it wasn't within his own power. But he went to Jesus because he knew that he was missing something. So he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I'm good. I think I'm covered now. But like, what do I have to do when I die? Like, I want to make sure that I'm on the right track with God. What's it going to take? And Jesus tells this guy, okay, well then keep the commandments, right? You're, you're morally upright. Jesus knew that before this guy ever opened his mouth. So he said, okay, go. Like, do this, do this, do this, do this. Kind of give him the Cliff Notes version of the Ten Commandments. And this guy, in his immaturity, said, I've kept all those. I've kept all those since the time that I was a boy, since the time that I've been responsible for these. Basically, my whole life, I've kept all these things. Now, Jesus knew that that wasn't true, right? No one's perfect. We read in Romans, all sin falls short of the glory of God. Like, we're, we're very aware of that. No one in this room would pretend to be morally perfect, like, we, we all are aware of our own failure. And in that way, I think we're like, um, the best thing I could come up with was with diamonds. Like, we're like diamonds. You know, you look at a diamond, and it's, like, beautiful. That's um, literally Google diamond on Google, and that's what you get. Um, so I just use Google as a verb and as a place. That's how deep it is inside of me. Uh, like, it's, Google's washed all of our brains. Anyway, you Google diamond, that's what you get. So you picture a diamond, right? It's beautiful. Right? There's not much that is as beautiful as a diamond. It's kind of the cream of the crop. It's kind of the, you know, the big jewel that everybody goes for, like movies and advertisements and everything. It's all about diamonds, right? So a couple of years ago, when I was getting ready to propose to my now wife, I looked up a bunch of stuff about diamonds. And uh, it's incredible how much of a gemologist you become whenever you're looking up diamonds to become engaged. Guys, if you're not there, if you have a serious girlfriend, like, Sorry to put the pressure on you, but like you know, you know, you're looking up diamonds, and you like learn all these things about like cut and color and clarity and blah blah blah. And then like you look all these things up and you know weight and you know what's important and all this kind of stuff, and then you immediately forget it whenever you're done. But for that moment, you're like a diamond expert, you know? But the thing with diamond is, with diamonds is is like even though they are they're they're perfect looking, they're beautiful, there are very few perfect diamonds. Like very, very few perfect diamonds. Most diamonds have flaws, right? They have like inclusions or clouds or whatever. I'm not a gemologist, even though I thought about taking a certification. Anyway, um, like, like there's, a, there's just something wrong with it, you know? So from a distance, it looks good. But when you get up close, you really investigate. You see that there are flaws. And that's what we do as people who have wealth. That's what we do as rich people. If we have a lot of money, and we have a lot of access and a lot of influence because of the money that we have, we do a lot to pretty ourselves up, right? Like we will treat whatever the ailment of our soul is with our money, right? We're sad, fix something. We're going through a lot at home, do something to fix it. I don't like the way that things are going on my job. You go buy something. Right? We have this like therapeutic way that we flaunt our wealth. And it does not work because we are deeply flawed. We can pretty ourselves up, we can present ourselves as good, but we all know deep down, right, there is a need, there is a flaw within us. So this rich man had sought to fix all of his problems with his money and with his authority, but it came up empty, which is why he came to Jesus. 
And Jesus told him, you haven't really kept the law. Jesus looked at him, had compassion on him, and he gave him a second chance. And he said, go, sell all you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. Now, that sounds like an extreme instruction to us because, you know, this guy, he had power and he had to give it all away and go follow Jesus. And I'm not going to say that that's specifically what Jesus is calling you to do, to go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. This was a piece of, uh, this was a commandment for this guy in this situation, in this time, because the thing that he cared about the most was his money and his riches and his influence. So this is a guy who, even though he might look really good morally on the outside, even though he might do all the right things, even though he might say all the right things, have all the good appearances, in his heart, what was the most precious thing to him was not God, but his stuff and what his stuff could get him. And Jesus knew that, so he went right for it. Because the thing that we think can provide joy and purpose and happiness and satisfaction outside of Jesus can't. It's a monster and it can kill us. So Jesus saw that in this guy and he said, look, you get rid of that. Come follow me. And the man couldn't do it. It said he walked away grieved, disheartened, discouraged, in despair because he couldn't walk away from the thing that he cared about the most. Jesus said, you got to pick your stuff, you got to pick your wealth, you got to pick your riches, or you got to pick me. And the man said, can't pick you. So he left. He learned something really important that day, and I think this is what we learned from the rich young ruler in one way, is that you can't add Christianity. It's not something that you can just add and do. So whenever you woke up this morning, you probably saw that it was cold outside. So you got on your phone, like if that's how you found out, or if you still watch the news, that's how you found out it was cold outside. So you go and you get a jacket, right? And you wear clothes accordingly, right? It's like an accessory. It's something you put on. It's something you add to you to accomplish a purpose. That's not the way that Christianity works. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not, okay, well, I can still have this thing that I care about in my heart. I can still live for myself and my wealth, but then I can go out and, and, and like, add this, whatever Jesus wants me to do, whatever priorities he has, whatever additional rule he has. Like, I can still have it my way, and I can do this. I can have my cake and eat it too. But that's not the way of Jesus. There's room for one God in our life. And it's got to be God. So you can't add Christianity, and you can't do Christianity. This guy came, and he was looking for the the quick fix, you know? He was like, hey, okay, I'm doing all this stuff. I think I'm doing all this stuff. Now, like, what's the thing I can do? Like, I, I, I know I feel pretty good. Like, I feel pretty taken care of. Like, I feel like my money and my influence and my assets have, like, gotten me to a pretty good place. Um, but I, I just want to know, like, what is the one thing that I have to do to inherit eternal life? Like, what's the one thing I'm missing? He was looking for one thing that he could go out and do. But Christianity is not a do. We don't earn God's grace like that. We earn his grace because he gives it to us and we put him first in our life. But this guy, he wanted to keep his money and pursuit of money as number one and do whatever else on the side he had to. 
And that's not the way of Jesus. The ultimate irony, I think, in, in riches and our pursuit of wealth and being rich is that our riches can actually rob us. Our riches can rob us. So, obviously not in a financial sense, our riches don't rob us. The zeros go up, the numbers get bigger in our bank account. But you know this, the things that you work for, the time that you put in, the effort you put in, the energy you put in, you take away from other areas. Right? Every time you do something, you're not doing a thousand other things. Our riches can rob us. Really in two ways. One, in having riches. Having riches can rob us. Rob us of what? Rob us of experiencing the life that Jesus has called us to. We all fall in this category. It doesn't matter if you don't consider yourself rich or if you do consider yourself rich. Wherever you are on the spectrum, like when we have money, it does a couple of things to us. I read this article this week, this pretty extensive study that came out in the Harvard Business Review. And uh, it talked about three things that happen to people typically whenever they are wealthy. And they kind of put this to the test with this fake Monopoly game. So they gave people who actually had more money than other people more money in the game and kind of rigged it to where it would work out towards them, to where the rich would keep getting richer. And in that, they found, literally for this purpose, they found that rich people, more times than not, were mean and more isolated. So we have mean isolation, and then it's proven, you look this up online, that people who are rich, like us, give less, we're less generous than people who have less. So, mean, isolated, greedy, not generous. Do those sound like things of God? Is that the life that Jesus has called us to? No. What does Jesus call us to? He calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. To be kind, to let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. Not to lash out against people or put people down, but to build people up. He calls us into community with each other and into community with the people around us so that we can share who he is and what he's doing. So he calls us out of isolation, into community. And he calls us to a life of generosity, right? Like we are people who God's given us resources, but we're sharing these resources with the people around us. Like we are trying to think about how we can bless people with the money that we have and with the resources that we have. Not mean, not isolated, not greedy. That's what having riches can do to us. Uh, the best example I think I could come up with in pop culture when I was thinking about this was a, a movie that I love, um, The Bucket List. So it's Morgan Freeman, Jack Nicholas. It's like the ultimate uh, geriatric bro mance. And um, they're two old dudes, both with terminal illnesses, kind of the way the movie plays out if you haven't seen it. Uh, so both with terminal illnesses, and they make this bucket list, right? So all the things that they want to do before they die. Well, they're strangers whenever they star, and they turn into, you know, bros by the end of it. And uh, they come up with this list of all these things, two very different guys. So Morgan Freeman's character, he's kind of lived his life for other people. Good dude, taking care of his family, put them first, kind of a guy who's prioritized people. And then Jack Nicholas's character is a guy who's kind of stepped over people. He's pushed people to the side so that he could make money and have a lot of money. He's pursued riches. So at the end of the movie, you know, they do all this fun stuff. They do stuff like shoot big guns and take pictures on outdated digital cameras and, you know, things like that. Uh, but towards the end of the movie, they're in the middle of, you know, their list. They're kind of running home and uh, they both realize that 
the fun that they're having really is not how they want to spend their last days. They find their real value in relationships. And while this isn't, you know, a movie that's necessarily a Christian movie or, you know, gospel focused, these things are true. Like the stuff we have is empty. The real value is in people. But, and we push people to the side to make an extra dollar every now and then. The danger is in pursuing riches. Having riches and pursuing riches can rob us. So the money we have and the money we want can be toxic to us. There's not a single person in here whose family or friends haven't been affected by someone who is in credit card debt, has foreclosed a home, has been evicted. Any number of financial stresses There's no one in here who doesn't know someone who's been affected by that. By the desire to have whatever you think you need to have, for the desire to keep up with the Joneses, whoever the Joneses are. I'm sorry if you're the Joneses, if your name's Jones, it's a bad name to have. But to keep up with whoever they are, like, they don't determine your worth, they don't determine your value, and we all know that, right? Like, who really cares what people think about you? But we do. Right? We do. Like, we want to keep up appearances. So we push ourselves to the margins financially to do what we feel like we have to do to prove to ourselves and to other people that we have enough or we're fun or we're experiencing whatever we're supposed to be experiencing, right? Like we chase after this wealth, not because we love the money, but because we love what it gives us, right? And we're willing to stretch ourselves really, really So we know that our riches can rob us. The ultimate irony, the thing that's supposed to give us life, we think is supposed to give us life, really can take it away from us if it becomes our God. Now, Jesus spoke into the rich young ruler, and he showed him something that this man walked away from, but that I pray that we don't, that Jesus meets our needs. So this guy thought that his needs were monetary, right? Or he thought his needs were moral works that he could perform, that he could just do like whatever the extra thing was. He knew that he needed something or else he wouldn't have gone to Jesus. He knew he needed purpose in his life. He knew he needed eternal life. So he came to Jesus and he said, what do you want me to do? Jesus told him what to do. He didn't want to take money off the throne of his heart. So he left. But we know that Jesus meets our needs, He's met our spiritual need on the cross. He died in our place. The sin that we had, the sin we committed, it's gone. We have life and relationship with him. So we know that that need we can't meet on our own. He's already met. But he meets our physical needs. Let's look at this, Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? We're more valuable than birds, God takes care of things that he cares about. While you might be in difficult financial times, while you might have difficult financial times ahead, God's going to provide for us. He's a good father who gives his children what they need. But we're so worried, right? We're so worried that we have to have more than enough just in case anything goes wrong. But that's not trusting God because God is going to take care of our needs. The love of money 
is the root of all evil. We've heard that, right? Not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Here's the passage this comes from. It's in 1 Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Right, like we know money's a bad God. We know pursuing wealth is our top priority. Doesn't work out well, but we fall for it, right? We fall for the trap. God wants to prevent that pain in your life and in my life. He calls us past that because while money's a good thing, it's a terrible, terrible God because it can plunge people into ruin and destruction. So he calls us to this upside-down life, right, where it's not about us accumulating wealth, but it's about us being Jesus to each other. It's about us living in community, us serving our neighbor, us loving our neighbor. This upside-down life a life that doesn't make sense to us is a life that God rewards and flourishes. Here's this passage in Proverbs. One person gives freely, yet another person gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but he comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People purse, curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who's willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Our money can't take care of us forever. And God doesn't want us to. He wants us to, to live a life for other people. Like he wants us to live a life where we're generous and where we give because it's a life that flourishes. Chasing after the dollar will never be enough. There's always the next thing. And for us to trust in our riches, our life will fail. But the life that trusts God, trusts him with our money, trusts him with our priorities, that's the life that flourishes. And in this, Jesus exceeds our needs in ways that we could never expect. So not only does Jesus meet our needs, right? Not only does he provide for us financially, not only does he provide for us in salvation, but he exceeds our needs. He goes beyond that. The passage, we're not going to put it up, but at the end of Mark that we read, Jesus says that he'll reward whoever gives up a hundred times more, a hundredfold in this life and in the next. And we all get in the next life, right? Like we're like, okay, God, I'm going like, to live my life for you because I love you. You know, it's not a have to, but a get to. So I'm, I'm going to do everything you've called me to do. So I want to be faithful and... Uh, you know, when I get to heaven, like, you'll reward me there. We all get that, and that's so true. But uh, we are so often out of touch with this reality that God wants to bless us today. For our sacrifice, for the way that we put other people first, for the ways that we're faithful, he wants to bless us today. He says he'll give a hundred times more whatever we sacrifice, he'll bless us with. Now, is that always going to be monetary? No. But we have spiritual blessings. And we miss out on those 
because we don't trust God and we're selfish. As we round home, the one last thing that I think we see in the rich young ruler that I pray is true for us is this, that Jesus demands, he expects more from us than we're ever willing to give, but he gives us more than we could ever imagine we could receive. It feels so upside down. It feels so backwards, right? Okay, God, I'm supposed to trust you with my, my riches. Like, you know, I'm supposed to work hard and provide for my family and be good, but I, I'm, I'm not supposed to make this the highest priority in my life. I just want to have it in case anything goes south. We all fall into that temptation. Or I need this because I need to prove to people how valuable I am, how good I am, how influential I am, how rich I can be. Whatever that desire is, it's not from God. It can lead to destruction. And in return, he wants us to be sold out to him. He wants us to live our life for him, to trust him with all of our life, and in this context, with our money. To pursue the things of God instead of wealth. Trusting he's going to provide what we need. And he's going to bless us. Right, this way that seems so backward seems upside down. It's where we thrive. We can flourish like a green leaf, like new life, like something that is alive. That's what he promises us when we turn our life over to him. He wants more than we're ever willing to give up, but he gives us more than we could ever imagine that we could receive in life with him. As we do the last Sunday of every month, we celebrate communion together. And uh, it's a great day for us to do that when we look at a passage like this. Then we can see that God, as it says in 2 Corinthians, that he who was rich became poor for our sake so we might be rich in him. That we might be spiritually rich in him. That we might see him as our treasure that lasts through everything. So after I pray, an usher will come, you'll take a piece of bread, You'll dip it into the cup and we'll remember what Jesus has done for us. Celebrate his sacrifice. Celebrate the life we have in him and the life we get to live because of how he's changed us. A life of freedom and a life of purpose. Let's stand together and we'll pray.